welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 71, interview with Rick Howland. listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And we are so very excited to have as our guest today, the Blood King himself, Mr. Rick Howland. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, I, I have to say, um, I, I, we, we recently met you at Dragon Con, and it was awesome to get to, to talk to you in person. And I just wanted to say that like, you were cracking me up at the Dragon Con panel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was, thank you. I was listening to the recordings we made of those panels, and it's just like me laughing hysterically in the background. <laughs> That's good. I try to. Try to, you know. It's nice to just be light and have fun with those with with those things, and they're a lot of fun. So, well, I hope you had a good time at Dragon Con. Oh, I did. Yeah, it's it's always great to meet all the fans and and from all over and uh, and uh, to just to see how how much the show has had an effect on people and how like it's uh, it always blows my mind that you you meet people and they've they've like developed these full friendships virtually online and from all over the world and all because of Lost Girl. It's quite cool. Yeah, well, that's how we started the podcast because Stephanie texted me or we contacted through Twitter and she was like, well, do you want to start a podcast? And me not knowing anything, I'm all, yeah, sure. And then Chris came on board. So yeah, that was how it all started. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. Very cool. So to start off, we had some questions about how did you come to be involved in Lost Girl? How did you hear about the project? And what about Trick attracted you to this role? Okay, well, I first heard about this show through the regular channels, through my agent, and uh, I got, you know, an audition. And I went to the audition, and, uh, and well, at first I got the breakdown and the sides, which are like the, the lines that you have to say for the audition. And the... Uh, mm-hmm. The breakdown is the description of the characters and and a, a, usually a, a short synopsis of of the plot of what this show is about. Which I mean, I, I know a fair amount of, or I knew a fair amount. I know a lot more now about mythology and things like that. But uh, I knew a fair amount. Like I knew what a, a succubus was before that, and and things like that. So it wasn't completely foreign to me. But I did a little bit of research on it. And when I read the breakdown of the character of Trick. I mean, even even uh, my friend Jordan Prentice, who's in In Bruges and uh, many other big big movies and stuff, he and I both went out for it uh, among a couple of other guys. And he, um, you know, he even read the breakdown and said, "Wow, this sounds like you." And I was like, "Cool, that's what I think too." <laughs> so, <laughs> so best of luck to you. But uh, I'm gonna do my best to get this. So, and I mean, we both, you know, always kind of go out with that that attitude. Best of luck, but you know. We're so, the role, so. so what was the audition process like just between you and how um, many people do you remember what scenes you auditioned with vaguely there was uh, there was a couple of scenes with the morrigan that didn't really exist like i mean a lot of shows that are when they're first coming out they the 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 sides that you get the lines that you get aren't aren't exactly from any script because they don't want them leaked around the world and mm-hmm. so you get 
versions of or old drafts or some some version of of them but whatever works for the for the auditioners to to kind of get a good vibe from the actors of of, of you know whether they can play the character or identify with the character or connect to it or whatever and generally speaking for any audition you go in and there's uh uh, I guess I can't even remember the the very first round because I, I think I did like two a uh, first audition and then two callbacks, and um, it might have been only one callback. But yeah, there was there was uh, scenes with the Morrigan, and uh, it was very similar to the scene in that first episode where Trick meets up with the Ash and the Morrigan. It's just after uh, Bo has beat the really the the three people that she has to fight to to prove that she's fair or to prove that she's to decide whether she's light or dark and it's like the the really big big dude that she fights with the swords and then there's the old guy who plays mental tricks with her and then i meet them in the dark alley kind of underbelly of the of the arena and uh and and warn them about you know what they're doing and and how they should proceed but there was a really great scene that I had that that was never part of the show opposite the Morgan where trick really expresses his power to her. And like, it almost seemed like it was, you know, like as if he was the blood King or whatever, but then I think that's what they wanted. They wanted to see some sort of power position that you could take and, and what kind of, like, you know, hold your own among uh, against someone else. And it was like, you know, pretty, pretty not barbed speak, but, quite quite strong language to each other and uh it would have been really fun to play that against Emmanuel. um yeah but you, you generally you have a reader and uh at the very first wanda the first uh production line the production producer who did the like the the production producer who organizes the production as it goes and as it as it shoots and everything else she's like oversees the schedule and everything else she was in there Jay Firestone and um, John Fawcett, the original director of the first episode. Uh, John Fawcett, who actually just last night won uh, the DGC award for, which is the Director's Guild of Canada award for Orphan Black. Yeah, I saw that. That was cool. So, yeah. And so, you know, I I did my audition with them, and uh, and I and then I came back, and they had me back. It might have been less people. It was with Lisa Parison, a casting director in Toronto, who's uh, cast some pretty big stuff, and she's an amazing person. And um, it might have just been with her and a, and like one or two other people at the first kind of. They take a look at everybody, and then when they're like, okay, we've narrowed it down to a certain group of people, then they bring you in with more people in the room so the director can kind of direct with you and the producers get to see you, you know, right there in the room. And so I did my auditions and uh, I uh, flew to South Africa and then I uh, came back and I, I think I'm actually heard that I got the part while I was away and then came back and shot it in that uh, February of 2009, the first episode. But it was, uh, it's always been very interesting. Uh, a couple of times, uh, Jay Firestone has said to me that he, 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 he fought for me. Um, when the, when the, when the broadcaster was first understanding the, the project, they had a different person, not a person, a different idea of, of who Trick was in their head. And Jay fought for me and and he wanted me he he felt i was the best person for the role and and uh and and i i thank him for that because it was a 
Um, it's been, well, as I've said many occasions, it's it's the best part-time job I've ever had. <laughs> okay, we solicited some some questions on Twitter. So, cool. Maygray Maygray Bell uh, asks, "What were your first scenes with each of the actors on the show, and what were your first impressions of them?" Oh, everyone's fantastic. I mean, they all bring something, you know, to their to their characters, and and uh, all of the characters within within the context of Trick bring a different element to Trick, and uh, especially as as we went along, when we first started, there wasn't it wasn't necessarily exactly clear what my relationship was like for the audience to 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 Bo and but there was clearly uh, an importance that that came along with with her arriving at the Dow so that was our our first scene you know my first scene with Anna was meeting her when when Dyson introduces us and um yeah I know I I mean I always love the like, I love the scenes with 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 Chris playing Dyson and and that kind of the king and and his knight you know, I always kind of thought of Arthur and the Round Table, and and you know, uh, Sir Galahad, or was the one of the good knights? I can't think of them right now. But uh, and then with Anna, it was that kind of how you know uh, how how powerful is she? What's who, who is like uh, you know, and 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 not what I know about who she is, and how I can't really say, and that kind of struggle between of that, and but you know the the dynamic that, that Anna brings to the role is, you know, there's that, uh, that sweetness of, of her, which is, which is Anna too. And, uh, and, and you can't help but uh, soften to that. And yeah. And then, you know, kind of the, almost like a fatherly figure to, to hail, but in a, but more in a, hmm, more in like a mentor kind of way. Which it sort of came that way, I think, with 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 Bo as well. But for working with them as actors to actors, it's uh, it was uh, it was just great and exciting and so supportive of each other and and you know high fives at the ends of scenes or hey great scene that was really great that was a great take you know like just really positive feedback to each other and uh, if anybody was struggling with anything, it's just you you. You, as an actor, you, which I did on many occasions with my lines and the words I had to say and the, the meanings of the characters I was talking about, which are like, you know, not of our world at all. So you have to make a quite, a, quite an extrapolation in your own mind to, to, to paint that story for the other actor. And um, <laughs> to have them, you know, they were, they were all very supportive as, as well. So it's great. It's been, it was a, yeah, a fantastic experience all the way through. So had you worked with any of the other actors on the show before? None of the leads, none of nobody, nobody of the regular characters of the leads. I had worked with several of the, of the, the people who came on and played roles. I don't know if you remember Sean Cullen, who played one of the clan Finn Arvin. Uh, He explodes at the end of his scene. He like literally blows up. And quite a, uh, he's a comedian from around town and, 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 well, and all over the world now. But, um, I'd worked with him 
many, 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 many years ago uh, when I was doing sketch comedy with my troupe called the Forced Rombones. And, uh, and, and of, of that, Paulino Nunes, who was in the first episode of season two with The Circus, Mm-hmm. You guys remember the circus with the guy yep. with the map under his skin? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the guy who played the ringleader of that circus, uh, that's Paulino Nunes. And uh, sadly, we didn't actually have any scenes together, but he and I had done comedy together for well over a decade. So, you know, it was like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Martin Julian, who played the the rat character confessor, who uh, kind of sided with the Garuda, and then I, I laser beamed his eyes, and he. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked with him on a, a YPT show, "The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe," very popular story for Christmas time. And YPT is at the Young People's Theater down on Front Street in Toronto, and I played Mr. Tumnus, and he played the the Wolf Sheriff, and uh, so our roles kind of reversed this time around where I got to torture him as in, you know, <laughs> 10, well, 15 years before that he tortured me. So a little bit of payback then. Yeah, it was nice. It was, I actually made a joke to him about that at one point. It was like, Hey, I get to get back at you this time for, for all those nasty things you did to poor little Mr. Tumnus, <laughs> him and his poor little pan flute. Um, <laughs> um how can you be mean to a guy with a pan flute? Well, yeah. Well, you should have seen the pants I wore. I wore these like goat fuzzy blue <laughs> pants with a tail and uh, a mask. And uh, it was a, it, that was a, a, really, a really fun show. I mean, you know, I've done a fair amount of kind of creaturey character things like that. And, uh, and uh, that was one thing also I really liked about Trick is I kind of – I think one of my questions during the auditions was like so – what are you doing to the look of these characters? And they're like, oh, no, you're human. You're humanistic. Like, you you look like you'd look. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> I don't have to wear pointy ears or some other kind of, you know, sadly other people had to, or not sadly, they, you know, it's fun to, it's also fun to, you know, have that kind of makeup on as well. But but you didn't have to wear tons of latex every day. As, yeah, exactly. As a main character. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So you were mentioning earlier how Trick does most of the Fey explanations, which you said can be difficult. But Lauren also has a lot of the Fey stuff, too, and a lot of the medical lingo, which is not even yeah. regular medical lingo. It's like Fey medical lingo. Yeah, so would, yeah. yeah. So would you ever want to switch all the difficult dialogue that Zoe Palmer does if you two switched? No. <laughs> the short answer, no. And, man, she could she handled that so well. I mean – yeah, it's like it's that's those those are some big you know ten dollar words, and uh, I mean I had to deal with the concepts of of the characters and 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 what those like what those words meant, and fortunately you know the writers did their research and and you know they were really great with coming forward with you know all of his characters. It's a Morgan is like it feeds or not Morgan. Um, Oh, what the heck was it called? That first one that she fights in the bathroom uh, in season one. Oh, the Morag. Morag, thank you. You're um, uh, you know that 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 particular creature feeds off the aggression of the other person, so it makes it a you know an evil thing to try to combat because it just it feeds off your anger. So those kinds of concepts that you have to kind of you want those in your head when you're when you're saying even the the name Morag, you know. 
so the audience feels it. And we've got another question from Twitter from mm. MP Leaf. There oh, are yeah. some pretty awesome gadgets and weapons and tricks possession. What's one you'd keep? And then they say the invitation machine was cool. The invitation machine. It, that oh, you from... and Stella were using in in oh, the machine. Oh, 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 the yeah, the test, the test. Yeah, that that was really neat, and uh, <laughs> it was funny because like the props guys who and the special effects guys who built that. I think it's actually the special effects guys who built all of that, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But they they certainly uh, ran it. And it was a guy tucked underneath, you know, doing all the cues for when things rotate and and happen. And then, you know, the smoke coming out of the little cup that you drop that I dropped the stuff in and all that kind of thing. That was a very cool machine to work with. And that was a that was a fun scene for uh for Deb Adele and I to 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 play. That whole scene was, was a lot of fun. That that was like an entire day and maybe a, maybe even a day and a half of her and I in that room doing those doing those those scenes. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's interesting. I mean, I really liked, I really actually would have loved to have kept the steampunk leather monocle that I wore for in season two when I was like yeah, taking the little, the little pieces of paper out of the rat's mouth. But it hurt like heck because <laughs> it had rivets that were through the leather to hold the eyepiece on. And, uh, and it was real, like it was from somewhere, you know, a la World War Two or whatever. So it was an actual thing that somebody had actually worn, you know, as a as a device, and uh, at least as far as I know, and and I, I just couldn't imagine wearing it for like you know eight hours a day or anything like that. I mean, I did wear it for a good couple of hours, and I had little rivet marks on my forehead for a while. But but yeah, you know, you, you, I guess that's the whole part of the steampunk thing is it's got it's got to be a little bit painful. I think <laughs> the wardrobe has to be a little bit uncomfortable. It's like the corsets for the women and. The monocles for the men, but yeah, no, I loved all of Trick stuff in his lair. You know, I I loved his old telephone. The vault, the vault door was really cool. Mm. Just uh, the art deck and the art set and the designers and the props designers and uh, like everybody brought their A game to our show. It was pretty special. Lisa Wright, who does the props. And was and well Victoria as well, but uh, Lisa was the one who like she built a lot of them, and she she was on set with me working with them, and like you know all those books, so many so many books, and then there's there was my my Blood King book, and it, or the the Fay book rather, the one that had all the information about the Fay that I show you know I occasionally show Bo or whomever, and. Uh, you know, I, I said this. I think at DragonCon, it was actually a furniture book. Like, it was, you know, in the in certain pages, it was just furniture pages. So there were pages that you couldn't turn to, but in the heart of it of that book, there were all of the important pages, and they would be added to as we went along, and and for whatever we needed, and 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 to reference a a fae character or a or a uh, or a you know a, a weapon or a, a certain tool. And uh, I loved having that. And Lisa was so great at even like if there was something in the script that said Trick reads this from his book, it would be in the book. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to have a conversation with somebody while you're reading and then not say what you're reading, but what you're thinking. 
it's very difficult. <laughs> and so it was really nice to have that little bits, those little tidbits of dialogue that they were actually things that I was supposed to be reading actually written in the book. And, uh, you know, and she just, she just, she did a great job. I mean, we, you know, we shed a tear and a, and a hug goodbye at the end of all of this. Cause, uh, she was really, really great. And I think she would say the same about me. I mean, we, uh, she even actually, she, she gave me a, a couple of, uh, coins that will remain in my possession forever that are fake coins that she, she gives to uh, to certain characters, and she's worked with people on shows. and uh, And this particular thing was a was little coins, and they're very precious to me. Um, yeah. So I got to say, as a as a viewer, something I really love about about Trick is I feel like I don't quite know where he stands. He I feel like we're learning new things about him, and he's changed a bit over the seasons. You think he's kind of like this warm grandfatherly guy but then it's like oh he's got some other stuff going on too and so i'm kind of wondering what is what is your perspective on trek in regards to like how trustworthy you feel he is or how sneaky you feel he is like what what is how i guess on a scale of one to ten like how sneaky do you think trick actually is well i'd be okay with him being you know i mean he, he was a he was a he's been everything right he's been around for two thousand years so he's been a king and i mean if you read through history, any 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 person who's been in that kind of power at some point has to make decisions that aren't necessarily favorable to everybody involved. Oftentimes, there's you know it's it's the choice to save the many over the few, or you know you have to sacrifice something in order to to make something else work. And so that's the way he's had to deal with things. And, uh, you know, I don't think, think it's more like, it's not so much sneaky as, uh, as it's omission of it's, it's what people need to know. And I mean, he's, he's, he, when we start the series, he's already stepped down from being the blood King and he's kind of in hiding. And so he's got a lot to protect. And as we know, the more, you know, through the seasons as, as Bo became powerful, you know, the Garuda comes after her in season two. And so, you know, there's always, there's always some other character looking at knocking down the next character who's rising. I mean, look at, look at the Morrigan and, and the Ash. They were constantly, you know, Trick created those rules of light and dark and, and in the first season or and or two, you you see the Ash and and the Morrigan butting heads, but getting along, dealing with those that law and uh, adhering to it. And uh, you know, so he's had to he's, he's he's lived a long life, and he's and he's he's done a lot of things. There's a lot of water under his bridge, and in order to keep himself safe and and the people around him, he needs to to guard some of the uh, older truths and when he was a king i mean i loved playing that stuff with um rachel scarston that flashback scene where i i i write her back her soul in season four and and uh over the over rainer's body uh, you know because she's she wants rainer's soul and she's got to take it to valhalla and i want his soul for pure vengeance and you know it's it gets a little icky sticky but you know 
we're all I like I like the fact that he had dimension like that. Uh, so on a related note, Sally from the Unaligned blog, which is we are unaligned on Twitter, asks, was trick an intentional moniker intended to convey moral ambiguity? Well, I don't know. You'd have to ask the writers. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, it's like uh, all I know is he's, you know, he's a multifaceted guy. And uh, and that's what made him so fun to play and, and to give, you know, you, you often talk, you, you hear actors in talk about they're you know they got tired of playing a certain character or they get you know they're 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 whatever and and i could i could have played trick for uh many more years i think i would have been happy i mean there was there was so many more layers to even i think still to still discover about him mm -hmm. yeah like you were mentioned i thought trick got some really interesting stuff in season four and especially like you mentioned the flashback scenes in in destiny's child with with tamsin and also in that episode you know he goes to the the other lewd one and she kind of like forces some truth out of him and we we kind of see like this dark trick come come up from inside of him and and i'm, I'm curious like you know this is a very different trick we're seeing in these elements of of this episode than what we usually see do you think trick truly has has changed from what, what he was or did he just kind of stuff that all down is it still inside of him of the the second time that when he meets the younger sister yes the other, exactly the one yeah well i think that's what it was all about was that he had, he had he had buried that's why he went to her to try to find the truth and cause he'd actually, he'd even hidden it from himself, which is, you know, why his nose starts to bleed and things like that. Cause he's like actually trying to force the memories out of himself. So you were so, talking er earlier about how, you know, tricks rules that he's created. So how do you think he f feels about the light and dark divide? Sometimes he seems to regret it but sometimes he'll also defend his actions of why he created those rules in the first place. Yeah, well, I mean, there were a lot of hurdles thrown up by the writers and stuff for, for Trick to, to, to deal with in terms of that, like in terms of questioning what he had done in the past and, and you know, how he dealt with his family and, and his whole life. And, and so, you know, absolutely. I, I, think, I think if you ask, again, if you ask any ruler, any, any leader with the decisions that they had to make to to maintain a peace or to create a peace there are regrets and you know none of us i don't even think at any time in the world any individual has ever had all the information there's always going to be something that you don't know the exact truth about because we don't all have Wonder Woman's lasso of truth or whatever to throw around somebody and say, no, no, tell me, tell me what you what you were thinking when you said that to this person. Because if you knew this, then that means this happened or that was true and not this. And so, you know, there's got to be some sort of leap of faith for anyone who's ruling something. And, and, and if that leap is, is slightly misinformed, uh, then you might not make it to the next ledge, mm -hmm. right? So kind of, I guess, in a piece of the light-dark divide, you know, I'm curious how you think Trick really feels about his decision to turn Aoife over to the dark way back when. Well, he's torn. He was always torn by it. I mean, you know, how it, it's, it's, not, it's not something that he necessarily 
wanted to do, but in order to maintain a larger piece, that's what he did. And is it your impression that when we when we see sort of the confrontation between Trick and Eva at the beginning of, of, of season four, was that like the first time they'd seen each other since that happened, do you think? Uh, no, I don't know. No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, he's always, Trick, Trick keeps tabs on everything. Mm-hmm. He's got, you know, like Ken- Kenzie says to him at one point, you're all ears. Or he says, I'm all ears. And she's like, that's disgusting. You have ears everywhere, <laughs> over your body or whatever. I mean, that's, that's, you know, he's been around, like I said, you know, he's been around for 2000 years. And it's it always, it always makes me think of that Star Trek moment when, uh, I think Spock is on the inside of the thing, like when Spock dies and, and Kirk's on the outside, he's like, Kirk, Kirk, get out, come out. And he's like, no, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or the few. And, you know, I I, I kind of carried that around with Trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I when we got that confrontation between Trick and Eva at the beginning of season four, I was like, yes, finally. Yeah. But then we didn't actually see how it turned up, and I was thinking, no. So I know you I know you can't reveal anything about season five, but I do hope we see more from Trick and Eva. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> And now I will say the next question. Yeah, <laughs> moving on. Uh, why do you think Trick waited so long to tell Bo that he was her grandfather? Oh, fear. And uh, I think just fear of having her, uh, losing her. You know, he didn't blurt it out right away. And so and it, and it, it would lead to more questions. And Bo, Bo asks a lot of questions. And... Um, I think she was the hardest one for Trick to to keep things from, and I mean you see it in in a lot of scenes with Dyson, all the way through, you know, of him kind of coming to Trick and saying, "Well, I wanted to tell her about this, or I didn't tell her about that," and and he's like, "Well, how do you think she would feel if he, she knew that?" Da, 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 da. You know, it's like it's kind of along all those lines, it's, and and he, you know, you can't protect someone if you if you don't have them in your fold and you can't, you can't help, you can't protect, you can't, you can't do any, anything for them. So. I do find that I always sort of yell at trick watching, like doing the rewatch when Mm -hmm. Bo specifically asks him if there's anything else she needs to know. Yeah. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. Yeah. (laughs) Typical man. Hey, yeah. (laughs) Dang it. So in season four, Trick got to show off more of its physical fighting skills. Uh, and I wanted to know, how was it training with uh, the staff for the fight scenes you did in Lafayette Epoque? And I was really happy to see that the staff came back in uh, Dark Horse. Yeah, it was cool. It's very funny, actually. Uh, so when I was a kid, I don't know, probably about 12, 13, I talked my father into getting a VCR like our first VCR, and I, I, I got a, a, a Chuck Norris movie, and I'd recorded it off of um, uh, First Choice. When for, there was First Choice and Super Channel, people in Canada who are old will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, there was this Chuck Norris movie where he fought on a, on a boat with a, a pole arm that like, he grabbed the ropes with, and he snapped off the hook part and was like whipping it around and it was like, that's cool. <laughs> and so I recorded those scenes and then played them back really slowly with our new VCR and uh, took a broom handle 
And so, like, you know, for about a year, my mom was always kind of looking around for a broom, hand, broom and she'd just find the brush part. Like, Where, <laughs> where's the handle for this? It's like I'm in the backyard <laughs> whipping it around. And, uh, and so I, I, I washed his hands as much as I could and kind of taught myself how to, how to work with one. And then while we were shooting, probably in the midst, in the midst of like season two, I'd said to the, to the writers and to the stunt guys, I was like, I, I'd love to have like a, a private moment with trick where he's like a private moment being like, you know, where, where a character is all by himself and there's nobody really watching and, and he's doing his own thing and where I, where, you know, I could be sweeping up the dowel and have the tables and chairs kind of pushed back and, and I unscrew a handle from a broom and, and then just start doing something fancy around the room by himself. And then like, you know, Dyson or Bo walks in and it's like, Oh, and you, you know, you get a little allusion to, to something that he he was he had done in the past, and so then it kind of the the idea started to kind of sink in for them, and 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 they liked it in during season three, and I pushed for it again, and and then uh, so during that period, I uh, met up with the stunt guys with Plato and Paul, and they introduced me to um, one of the guys that does stunts for the show regularly, and he's he's incredible with a quarter staff like. It, it blurs like you can't even see it. It's so fast, and and so uh, I, I they corrected my childhood techniques, and uh, <laughs> you're like Chuck Norris did it this way, guys. Yeah. Come on, well, it's like this, right? And they're like close. Put your hands like <laughs> Not this. Really? It's like, oh, oh, it's even easier than I thought. Okay, <laughs> and it's like it's 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 very similar to like like a baton twirl, right? Or, or even like sword work when you see a guy do the, you know, the fancy sword work in Indiana Jones before he pulls out his gun and shoots the guy. It's that kind of, like, it's just, it's that simple of gesture, but done, practiced, and quickly, it, it's, it's really impressive looking. And so they, they, they kind of put together a, a little routine and I went away and I, and I taught it to myself and, and practiced it. And, and then, uh, I came back and and showed them and they were rather impressed and then they you know they iPhone videotaped me a couple of times and showed it to the producers and everybody else and and everybody got on board and then the writers were looking to write I guess that kind of that flashbacky thing of of that uh was a Bison Bo Dyson thing <laughs> and uh and so they were like okay this is how we're going to do it and it was like awesome and I rehearsed probably about two or three times with the stunt guys uh, and Casey Hudek, who uh, who's who stunted for Bo quite a bit, and uh, another guy Mike, and uh, they're actually I probably can say they're recently married, which is awfully sweet. Oh, and nice. uh, and uh, so I I got to beat up her her now husband, and uh, <laughs> and and he was he was awesome too. He's like, no, no, come on, do it, hit it, hit me, hit me, and it's like, okay, I don't want to actually hit you. He's like, no, no, it's okay, don't worry about it. It's like it's all good. And like I mean, I never, I never did, but. But, um, yeah, so we really rehearsed that kind of that, that takedown in that first bit. And I'd had a whole flourish kind of at the end. And uh, it was funny that the director, I, I had a longer flourish for the end because I was like, I'm making my moment here, man. <laughs> I'm going to star out like crazy. And the director came up and goes, you know those, Rick, you know those westerns where you see the guy do the whole thing with the gun and like a blah, 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 blah. He's flipping it all around. Da, 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 da. And then he shoots the guy. And it's like, isn't it? Don't you think it's like kind of more cool when he just like 
whips it out and flicks it once and then shoots the guy. And I'm like, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> um, I'll cut my flourish down a little bit, but I'm, but I'm keeping my flourish. Because <laughs> there, was, there was one part that I can do that, I've, that they didn't teach me, that I just figured out from practicing of doing it, spinning it all the way around my body. And they hadn't taught me that. And I, I don't know if it's an actual maneuver or not, but I'm sure it is. Because I mean, you know, it's thousands of year olds of study for these, for, for you know, the the art of it. But I discovered how to do it without breaking the spin of the staff, and so I really, really wanted to. Because I was quite proud of myself for figuring it out, and uh, and I wanted to, I wanted to get it in there. So I, I, I managed to to sneak it in there. Yeah, and then for the end, for the end stuff, I mean, that end sequence for that season with all of us, you know, coming in, uh, it was pretty exciting and, but quite scary just personally, but to, to, to wade into the crowd of like a hundred people beating the living poo out of each other <laughs> in this giant room. And, you know, you got, you got Rachel and, and Chris trying to fight off everybody they can. And he's like ripping throats and ripping faces off of people and she's slicing them up with their sword and I come running in and we have this dialogue that we have to say while these guys are coming at me and it wasn't it wasn't as rehearsed it was just kind of like they're like okay you know what you're doing you you got this you got your you got your weapon you know how to work your weapon these guys know what they're doing so we're going to send three guys at you this way dun, 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 and then you're going to later on you'll you'll beat off like five or six guys that way and and I'm like you mean I don't get like a week's rehearsal? We're doing this right now. <laughs> okay. And I mean, again, hats off to our our stunt guys and 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 all the stunt people that were there that day and who've worked on our show all along. They're just uh, incredible, and they'll they'll throw themselves into anything, and they're you know they're professionals and they know what they're doing. And you know, no one no one ever really got hurt on our show, so not that I know of anyway. And so it was quite quite incredible. You know, even when later on when I'm fighting off the guys as they're coming out of like I'm facing I'm facing the vortex hole and and there's guys coming at me from both sides and I'm whack, 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 swish, swish, swirl, swirl, whack, whack. And uh, one guy comes at me and he's wearing one of those World War Two metal helmets and I swing by to hit him like as if I'm hitting him across the face. And, you know, there's quite a bit of distance usually between us. It's just camera angle and, and angle of of the persons in the blocking they keep everybody safe but ping and i clipped the front of his his helmet and uh i mean you can't stop because the cameras are rolling and everything's going and so afterward i was like dude are you all right i didn't i didn't hit you and he's like no it was awesome that was amazing what a great sound you made and i was like okay <laughs> okay it was amazing i'm glad i didn't hurt your face um but like that day you know we had a hundred and some odd dudes just they were fighting each other full out all day long and loving it. Like it was like they were all play fighting for the day. And and I was I'm sitting there going, wow, you guys are going to be so tired and sore tomorrow. But they just just loved it. And and, uh, you know, it, that's what makes it work. You know, that 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 heart and that inspiration into it. So I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about Trick and Kenzie's relationship, because they had kind of a a fatherly father daughter type of relationship going on in the first few seasons. But like in, in season four, you know, Kenzie started stealing stuff from him and, 
in, in Destiny's Child. When I, I think he's kind of angry about other things, but he does sort of like call her a human very pointedly in, mm. in, in Destiny's Child. So like, I guess, how do you feel like, what is the state of, of Trick and Kenzie's relationship in, in season four, do you think? Well, I think you've nailed it on the head. It's, it's, it's you know, it's tiny betrayals. Right, tiny, tiny, tiny breaks of 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 their of their agreement, and I mean she she uh, charmed herself into his heart, and she was taken under her wing by Bo, and you know she makes Bo makes that statement in the Dow early on. It's like, you know, I've claimed her; she's she's mine, and so she's therefore protected, and therefore, you know, Trick is will protect her, and. And she's such a talented actor, and and we just we loved working together, and we'd we'd come in ready to go, and and we'd do our stuff, and they'd be like, okay, we're done, and we're like, no, we don't want to be done yet. Write more, make the scene longer. I'll screw up next time. Damn, why didn't we screw up more so we could have more time on the scene? But um, yeah, no. It was always uh, such a, a pleasure to work with 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 uh, Ksenia, right from the very beginning. And uh, one of my favorite episodes with her is is that that whole bird mm. bird scenes and stuff, where the you know she's invisible to me, which I got to play some some kind of comic beats there. And and but she's seen by her, and and we had that wonderful woman coming in to to play that character and. With a South African accent, which was uh, similar, uh, you know, familiar to me. So it was, it was, uh, and yeah, all those scenes were just so much fun to play and and to play with her. And and uh, it's interesting, you know, because like in those in the season four moments when she does start to steal from Trick, it's like it, it it wasn't even that hard to kind of allow those feelings of betrayal to to you know to be like you're hurting me. Like, why, why are you hurting me? And like, cause our bond is so strong as the two actors that, that it's, it's kind of easy to, to, to play those harder moments with each other. And like, you know, saving her when she ate the foot food soup, the foot soup and, uh, making her tea out of that, the antler of the female unicorn and that kind of thing, which by the way, there is only one unicorn. <laughs> this is for okay. the right for, uh, I think I, I saw you uh, write that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it was back and yeah. forth with uh, with Emily because she's a she's a very pro unicorn. Um, <laughs> that, that, uh, that there's only one male unicorn ever in existence at one time, and and then there's the the female unicorns, which are another name, an alabaster, ala, alabar, alab something. If you just Wikipedia it, it's up there, and uh, and they all have these kind of curly Q uni- uh, horns. And that was that horn. And again, then the props, right? Linda finds the horn and and then gets some garlic root and and attaches it to the end of the thing. So I shred garlic root into a cup. I was wondering what that was that you actually yeah. shredded. Yeah, it's garlic root. So it makes a garlic thing for like somebody who's sick. So it's like, you know, that's not outside of the realm of reality at all. And so... You know, it's cool. I, I really liked how how our worlds blended like that, even you know behind the scenes in a way. Continuing with the human theme, we haven't seen a lot of one on one interaction between Trick and Lauren. 
but sometimes yeah. sometimes he's critical of her position as a human in the Fey world. So, what's your take on the relationship between Lauren and Trick at the end of season four? Well, there was that really great scene that we had, very brief, but it was really special little moment where she's checking my hand. Mm. From after I, I, I cut myself to write in my blood. I guess it's the beginning of season four. Two, two, season beginning two. of season two. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, that was another <laughs> season later. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, I wrote in my blood a lot of times. Uh, I cut my hand quite a few times. But uh, but she was like, you're such an amazing healer. And I'm like, yeah, you know, lots of practice. But uh, um, uh, I work out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like to eat vitamins, and uh, I do Greens Plus every day. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, uh, they're, they're very rare and but special moments. And, yeah, I mean, I think because, you know, there's that divide, right, of Trick, trick kind of represents the magic and, and to her, and to her she represents the science. And she's always trying to make the magic fit into the science. And... Trick was kind of always about it's like, you know, you got to just drop the science for a minute and believe. And so I, I think that's that's kind of what their their conflict, for lack of a better word, their thing was in their in the heart of their relationship. But I think ultimately he he knew that she cared about Bo and that she wanted to help Bo. And and that was good enough for him because she's part of the team. Right. So we finally got to see the origin of Trick's relationship with Dyson this past season. So how do you think it progressed between then and the beginning of the series? Well, I mean, you know, he was he was his soldier. He was his knight. And, and as we know through various episodes, the wolf pack, it's a pack. You know, they travel and they're more they're most comfortable in, in packs. And also they they swear allegiance to a king and they and they that's where they get their their movement they're forced toward to doing things and and living and upholding their their loyalty it's like they're very loyal and he's very loyal and and i don't think it ever that ever really goes away or ever went away because i mean you know there was those moments when we're drinking scotch in the da in the in the in the lair and and having those kind of check-ins with each other in the in season one and, and a bit in season two and i think that's what they you know that's what the the, the king knight relationship boiled down to into a modern stance of those kind of like check-ins with how it's going. And I mean, Dyson has always had tricks back no matter what. And that's, you know, that's something that trick also felt very loyal to Dyson for. So I think their, you know, their relationship just changed as, as times changed, like as, as it had to. And as trick kind of stepped down from being a king to a, to a quiet in the background bartender, but who's keeping the tabs on everything and keeping a ledger of, of everyone who comes and goes and, you know, it's important. Mm-hmm. So yesterday, actually, uh, Chris and, and every, I, sorry. And every, every good bar needs a bouncer, right? So. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> every good bar needs a wolf. Yeah. So yesterday, actually, Chris and I went to a Comic-Con here in Texas where, where Chris Holden Reed and, and Ksenia Solo are, are at. And we, we actually yeah. asked them if they had any suggestions for questions we should ask you. Oh, cool. And, and Chris Holden Reed actually mentioned that the two of you had like a, a ritual or a routine that you would do when you were filming scenes together and ask you to talk about that. 
Oh my gosh. And he didn't tell you what that was? <laughs> Something to do with an imbibing of a particular beverage? Oh. Oh. Well, that's not really a ritual. Well, gee, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm... That's that's terrifying. He's like leading me on. That's uh, I mean, there was there was a couple, quite a few things. I mean, you know, he always did his growl, which I ended up starting to do too, uh, just because <laughs> you you got to jump in with that when you know he's like, Rah! and it's like, okay, fine, Rah! I'm doing it too. It's Rah! Rah! let's get into that place. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of uh, shared uh, drinking moments between Dyson and Trick. I mean, it's it's that's kind of this is partly the nature of their of their relationship. You know, it's I guess the best best moments spoken are are over a, a shot of whiskey. The truth comes out. So, would you actually drink whiskey during those scenes, or was it just fake whiskey for TV? Mostly, it was fake whiskey for TV. Mostly. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Um, there was too cool. It was actually it's funny. I I, uh, I did this commercial years ago with this um, with this actor who taught at at U of T, and I, I didn't know that he was a teacher at U of T at the time. I found that out later. But he came into the audition room and he was like, uh, yeah, and he seemed really befuddled and and out of sorts. And later on, I think uh, I, I deduced out of it that I think that he was actually just taking the space like to, to fill it with him for himself. But he seemed kind of befuddled and whatever. And then he, we got in and I was like, Oh, please don't pair me with him. And they paired me with him. And I was like, Oh no. And then, so, so then, but then we sat down and we were kind of discussing the scene. He's like, I think we need a thing at the end where we just kind of like, we have a gesture that we've always done together. And I was like, okay, that's a good idea. So we did this, some sort of gesture thing. And then we booked the commercial together. And the first thing the writers said to me uh, when we were at our fitting before the shooting, he came up to me, he goes, you know, we watched hours of actors coming in and playing these characters together opposite each other. And then you guys came in and it was like watching a feature film. And I was like, wow, thanks. Like, that's such a huge compliment. And and I think it was because of that moment that he created with that. He goes, let's do this little gesture thing. And it just, it, it created so much backstory mm. in a, in one beat of a moment in a, like a 15, 30 second commercial. And, and it captured that thing. And, uh, and so the first time that Chris and I had to swear Dyson and trick had to swear over something of keeping something secret or whatever, and it was a it was a first kind of moment. I I I, I remembered that moment from before, and I said to Chris, "We've got to we've got to have a gesture that that is like our arms. It's like our our sergeant at arms to you know warrior call to arms kind of gesture." And uh, actually, at a at a comic con in uh, in England, um, I did a photograph with one of the with with one of the fans that he was like, "I want to do that. I want to do that that crossed arm thing that you and Chris did. did you, I want to do that." And it was like, right on. It actually resonated. That's awesome. So I, I said to Chris, "It's like, why don't we like cross forearms? Like, kind of like mm. put our forearms together as if like they're swords, you know, coming together and and meeting." And uh, and he's like, "Yeah, that's cool." So we did it, and then. Every time after that, like in the season four, uh, in the flashback, we did it. And then we did it again, you know, in, in future time or in now time. And so it became this thing. And, uh, and, and it, it's that one little tiny gesture that creates a history between two people 
for the audience to kind of go, wow, that's been there forever. Like that's, that's their, that's their thing. And, uh, and it, 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 it's, it's awesome when that, when you, when that happens, I'm giving out a secret there, I think. <laughs> and, and I know exactly secret. what you're talking about too. So yeah, it does, too. it really, mm-hmm. it really stands out, I think to people. Cool. Yeah, I was, uh, I was glad, I was glad to have had that, uh, that experience before to, to teach me that. And when we asked Ksenia Solo what we should ask you, <laughs> she said that she wants to know how to be as wonderful and amazing as you are. Well, she could just look in the mirror. Aww. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> you two are so sweet. <laughs> yeah. We really did have a lot of fun working together. We we really did. It's like we really brought our A – well, I mean, everyone brought their A game. But there was something really special about scenes with Ksenia. I don't know how to describe it, but – there was something that, like, I mean, it's it's our, I guess it's our our absolute mutual respect of of each other's uh, abilities or talent, and uh, and um, yeah, we were always so excited about having scenes together, and there were a lot, always a lot of fun. I mean, everybody's were. I mean, uh, there are some scenes, uh, you know, that will go down in my mind historically in my mind that I had with Anna that were just so special as well. I mean, everybody, We've, I've got certain things with, with Rachel, with Emmanuel, with Casey, when I had to dress him down when he was the Ash and I kind of give him, give him crap for stuff. It was, it was really hard to do that because I, I really like Casey and, and I, I, and he and I like each other a lot. We're good friends and, and, you know, and that, and that makes it even more important. And, and, it, and, it, and it, I think, uh, you know, you, you allow sometimes those, those elements of relationships to come into it. If you need that duality of, I'm really mad at you and I really want you to learn from this, but I want you to learn from this because I care so damn much about you rather than I'm just mad at you because you screwed up and you're a doofus, you know? There's, there's a difference between those two things. And, and when he was trying to be the, when he was the acting Ash, Drick really wanted Hale to do well. And he, Hale had always had kind of a troubled uh, life with his own family. And I think uh, that's the thing about our show is like, too, our, our, all our characters were sort of, they're all misfits and outcasts in some kind of way or another, right? Mm-hmm. Like even Dyson being a pack animal, but he was the lone wolf guy. And KC with his, or Hale with his family and Bo with her whole experience and, and Kenzie being on the street and growing up really tough and having to become smart and streetwise and a human doctor who knows this huge secret and has this incredible into a to this mad science that no one else can really understand and she can't relate that to any other human and uh, the valkyrie who didn't always do it the way the valkyrie book said it was to be done and just all those like every character always had had a had a side that 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 had um elements of either regret or 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 you know failure or something that, that just it gave us it gave us all something to work on to to work with as actors. Um, so we had another Twitter question from Vavy. Are we going to see another love interest for Trick in the upcoming season? I don't think you can tell us that, but I am curious what you think about Trick's love life. Uh, how does he feel it's gone? How would he like it to end? More Trick Stella? Who knows? Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> um, love the Trick and Stella stuff. 
loved the the ability for the for the again it's like you know it's it's the same as the flashback stuff it's like it's another element of trick it's another it's another side of him that we get to see and i mean the flashback stuff with his wife from back in the day always so so lovely and and warm and even within the the you know the turn when the garuda is showing trick those those flashbacks and and you know he's he's tormented about the decisions he has to make and and his wife goes off and and goes and talks to the other side and ends up losing her life and it's just like so heavy and tumultuous but there was there was such a special and Allison down done who uh, down sorry who um brought that character to life like again it was like you know I didn't I didn't have the opportunity to read with either of those women uh, and Deb Adele, who played Stella beforehand, but it was so great that that we, you know, we were able to create that chemistry and and that energy together that uh, that gave you know that gave those 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 scenes such uh, loveliness and stuff. They were a blast. So I mean, like you know, yeah, it's great that Trick has love lives and things like that happen like that to him. So my friend Jessica wants to know how your improv background informs your performance, especially since Trick isn't especially comedic. Yeah, I think improv, I think in general speaking, if you're if you want to be an actor, young young listeners out there, if you want to be an actor, <laughs> do study improv because it makes you a listener. It makes you good at listening. And half of our battle of being convincing is listening. And to really hear the other character, because, you know, you can memorize the entire scene. You can memorize everyone else's lines and you can memorize everything. Like, I mean, you know, you've got your Christopher Walken style of, of it and, and or like the old Stratford, uh, sorry, Stratford, the old Shakespearean way where which is where the term sides came from was it was only your dialogue and the line before your dialogue. So your cue line to your dialogue is what you'd get as an actor when Shakespeare's hanging out, hand, handing out his scripts to all the actors. That's all you'd get. So you wouldn't know what everyone else was saying in between. And you'd only just, you'd have to listen for that last line and then go, ah, okay, now I'm speaking. So you have to listen to what they're saying. And improvisation really helps an actor. You have to listen. You, you can't just be, you know, thinking, okay, what's my next line and how I'm going to play it and blah, 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 blah. And it also it allows you to then kind of free yourself. You know your script. You know your words. You let the actor hit you with whatever their plan is for their character, and then you, you respond. And, you know, you can, you, can set, you can set your whole performance before you even go into a room and work with another actor or a director. But if you do, you, you can kind of make it very difficult for yourself if if the director has a different angle or vision than you do and and if the other actor wants to play something with a slightly different feel to it you have to be open to to hear that difference and and adjust accordingly and you know if somebody plays something that's a lie like an outright lie you're going to react differently to that than if they're playing it as if it's the truth but they're lying and if the director wants you to, to, to be gullible and not notice the lie, or does he want you to notice that they're lying? And that's different. So, you know, those, that's the skills that improv give you. Improv isn't always, it isn't always comedy. I mean, 
two percent of the time it is but but you you certainly can use those skills in drama as well um the other part of it for the improvisation is dealing with props and having to deal with space in 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 the world like when you're improvising you don't have a table and you don't have a a tv screen or a remote in your hand or or a book to reference or or a sword or a lawnmower or a fishing rod you don't have any of those things you have to mime them and if you can mime something well enough, then the audience sees it. And if the audience sees it, then half your work is done again. And you don't have to, you don't have to work as hard if, if you're convincing with your mime work. And so then when you're actually dealing with a, a table full of books and a, an old 1940s phone and, you know, and a giant magnifying glass on, a, on an extender wire and all this kind of stuff – it doesn't overwhelm you if if you know how those things work and if you can mime, if you have it in your head how things work spatially in your own mind already, then it's easier to deal with them on the day. Mm-hmm. I hope that's clear. Yeah, yeah thank you. Mm-hmm. So uh, we wanted to shift and talk about your music because cool. you had a show last night at Graffiti's and we I did. ask how, how it went. It went well. It was a blast. It was very yeah. good. Yeah. Did yeah. eight songs. I did the, mm-hmm. the five songs from my EP and three others, and it was good. Yeah, Miss um, Jenna had a question about uh, Hold My Hand, which is your EP. Uh, mm-hmm. She's asking, your songs Voodoo and She's a Goddess have a very supernatural vibe. Has being on Lost Girl influenced your music? What's really funny is I, I actually read that tweet on my way down in the car. Oh, really? <laughs> I wasn't driving. Don't worry. I don't tweet and drive. <laughs> yeah. But uh, – I actually read that and I thought, oh, good question. Thank you, Jenna. It's uh, actually what's funny is, is is that I wrote both of those songs well before the show. Hmm. So I would have to say that voodoo and it's even, like there's lines in that song that that are are directly they're they're thematically very close to the show. Cast me in your spell so I can feel your glow. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, the succubus chi, like I, it, it does work thematically. And so I, I, um, I don't know if I think, you know, I think my openness to those kinds of energies and writing those songs actually conjured the role of trip toward me. If you well, want to get like that. You never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like the, the actually the song Voodoo many years ago, the guy who I opened for to, uh, last night, who I played with last night, Russ Hershen, uh, he and I have known each other since the early 90s, 89, 90. We went to York University together and um, he asked me to come and be part of a songwriter's night at the Cameron House in Toronto. And uh, the theme for the songwriter's night, which he used to do with, with themes, was magic. And so I wrote Voodoo for the theme of magic and 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 i was really happy with how that song came out because the majority of the songs that i've written in my life i kind of i sit down and i i start playing chord progressions <laughs> often starts with a minor but uh one of the saddest chords and uh, <laughs> uh, and so uh, you know starting with with a chord progression and just kind of playing it over and over again and and being in a in a, in some sort of emotional state and then telling a story from that place Whereas that particular song came from a challenge of 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 a of a of a thing of a a word or a theme, and to work from it from there, and you know, there's another song I played last night called "Carry On," which I I wrote 
three weeks before I shot Bong Cop, Bad Cop, I, I, I broke my arm. And, and so I couldn't really play my guitar, but I had, I had all these lyrics and words rattling around in my head while I was praying for my arm to heal in time to be handcuffed <laughs> to my other arm before getting thrown into a trunk of a car in the movie. So I, uh, I wrote down all the lyrics that were rattling around in my head, and then and then later on when I could play the guitar again, I I, I picked it up and and put those lyrics to music, and so that song came about like that. And and I've I've written a couple of songs like that, but uh, but yeah, so they they've, they've come out they've come from different different ways of writing, and uh, so it's cool. So just out of curiosity, because I find that sometimes I'll think, oh, I, I think of an artist as in a certain genre. But when I say, oh, and you play this type of music, they'll always say, actually, I think of myself more like this type of music. How would you classify your music? Like what genre do you think your music fits into? Well, uh, not just one. I mean, I, I, you know, if you hear me, if you hear my album, it's probably kind of rock or alt rock. But if you hear me play by myself with my guitar, then it's kind of folk. But I've been influenced by punk and kind of uh, also been influenced by grunge and rock and roll and 70s rock and, you know, Neil Young, who might be a genre all onto his own. Mm. And uh, yeah, so, and uh, you know, I've I've been influenced by everything I've ever heard, I think. So, you know, and that's a lot of, of everything from gospel and classical to, to R and B and James Brown. And, you know, I've, I've listened to a lot of different kinds of styles of music. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's all in, uh, filled it in, but I would say folk rock. Yeah. I have the impression when I first listened to hold my hand, that was the first song. It was a real good rockin' sound that got me going. That's why uh, my favorite off there is uh, "Show Me Where the Lies Hide." So, oh, but cool. I'd love, I'd love to hear, yeah, someday I'd love to see you perform to see your acoustics, you know, versions of those. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I recorded the sounds last night. I'll have to listen to them and see if there's any that I feel are uh, good enough to do with. But uh, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. I mean, it's uh, I'm pretty happy with how the album turned out. And, uh, but yeah, maybe you guys can make a road trip up to Toronto or I can, uh, hell, give me a, give me a, give me a, a gig in Texas. I'll come down. Yeah. Russ, you got to go Russ on tour. <laughs> yeah. Russ and I will both come down and we can fill out a night easy. So. Okay. Cool. And I guess just to, just to wrap up, we had a, a question from Smelly Cat 1304 asking, uh, Audrey. <laughs> yeah. asking if you had any projects to come. We know you're doing music, but do you have any film or TV projects that are going to come out here soonish? Um, there's things going on that I can't really talk about yet, but, um, but yeah, you know, I'm not stopping acting, that's for sure. So there will be, uh, I can't really, uh, yeah, I can't really expand on anything, uh, directly right yet, but, um, but yeah, you know, I'm working that angle and I'm playing my tunes and putting out YouTube videos with a friend of mine, Sunday Muse, who does cartoon voices and, She's on a cartoon, Total Drama Island. I don't know if you guys know the cartoon, but uh, she does a voice on that. And we play, she plays Precious and I play Jake uh, in the backseat of a car on YouTube. And you can find that on my website. So, and uh, we've shot just recently some more and I've got to go through those and cut them together and do all the the post-production on it. 
and uh, and then we'll put those out after these uh, these twelve episodes finish off. Which I think I'm putting out episode ten this next week. So there's three more episodes of those to come out, and then uh, hopefully I'll have the other ones edited and ready to to put out after those. I have been yeah. following along with those, and I I, I appreciate the your explanation as to why. This this young kind of not even quite an adolescent has like a full beard. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I say to people. It's like you've you've actually got to see the first episode first, but then then you can watch any episode out of sequence. But it's it's a good idea to watch that first episode just to understand why Jake might have a beard, a full beard. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, eh? Pretty good reasoning. Yes, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, I was like, how am I justifying this? I mean, <laughs> I'm shooting, I'm still shooting Trick at that time when we shot those. So it was like, I can't, I can't, I can't shave it off. So got to figure out a way to justify it. So that was the improvisation that came out. <laughs> so, because that stuff, I mean, it's kind of set. It's it's like we we talk about themes and we talk about ideas of like what 12-year-olds might talk about. And I mean, Precious has her own way of doing things in a very strong and <laughs> determined and angry way and uh and so jake you know he's, he's got his own kind of way of doing things too and so uh but we've uh yeah we have a lot of fun making those characters come alive so i hope everyone else likes them too so yeah well thank you so much for for taking the time to talk with us today i know we're looking forward to see to seeing what you have coming out in the future and other projects awesome thank you yeah, absolutely thank you well thanks Stay tuned in on uh, rickhowland.ca, and yep. uh, I'll keep my, my best at updating my calendar and doing all those things. So, awesome, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.